Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Talking more baseball this week. We've talked a lot of baseball lately. And joining us now is our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great. What's up, Brady? Well, we finally got a snowstorm, and it finally, you know, is continuing to look and feel like winter, so that's nice. Although, you're in Montana, you've had winter since about October. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, one of my neighbors back in New York, my old neighbors, was telling me about sitting out on the deck and sunning himself the other day. <laughs> and I'm just like, don't even talk to me. We're supposed to get like minus 15 here in a couple of weeks. Oh, man. Hey, um, you know, I, I want to start with this, actually, because I actually saw this on social media. Four years ago today... You were in Burlington. We had the winter warmer event in which you and former Red Sox broadcaster Tim Neverett came by and talked baseball and kind of a panel discussion for an hour and a half or two hours. I was there. I can't believe, one, that that's been four years, and two, are we ever going to bring that back? Well, that was uh, actually put together by the Lake Monsters uh, when they still were an affiliated team. And, and, you know, so I definitely would be open to it. You know, I I, I love coming back and, you know, I mean, love talking to you and, and being on WDV and, you know, love coming back east and seeing my family members. And so with some planning, that would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll, uh, We'll we'll see if we can get that going. Maybe I'll make a call. Maybe to we'll have the Brady Farkas night. Oh well, you know, up in Burlington or something. Uh, well, if I all of a sudden fall into a lot more money, we can grease the right palms to make that happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, Buster, let's talk some Red Sox. Red Sox made an interesting move this week, acquiring Alberto Mondesi from the Royals. We know the red flag is the health, right? He's played forty percent of games since two thousand and eighteen, I believe. But the tools are undeniable. What'd you make of the move overall? I liked it. Uh, you know, it's it's the you know potential addition of a guy with a high ceiling. Um, I know that the Royals all along felt like this was a player who, um, you know, if he stayed healthy and with some experience, he was going to be someone who could have a high impact. And I talked to someone with the Royals yesterday. He still feels that way. Like he feels like the Red Sox are getting him at the right time. I mean, let's face it. It's a lottery ticket. It's the Red Sox trading, you know, a player making a million bucks for a player making $2 million. So it's a low-risk, potentially high-reward. And, uh, you know, with the uncertainty in the middle infield for the for the Red Sox, I think it's good for them to have some safety nets because we've seen Kike Hernandez, Christian Arroyo, uh, and obviously Trevor Story deal with a lot of injuries. You know, Mondesi can play short. Mondesi, I also read, could play second. Kike can play short, can play second, can play center. Duvall can play center, can play the corner outfield positions. It does seem like the Red Sox are creating a lot of nets and a lot of versatility on this roster. Yep, uh, and I think that's what they're going to need to do, uh, given the injury histories of the players that we're talking about. Uh, you know, a lot of ways for, for Alex Core to go. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear. You and I both feel the same way. We don't see the Red Sox in the same realm as, you know, the Yankees or the Blue Jays or the, you know, Tampa Bay Rays. But I do think that, you know, if they can keep some of these guys relatively healthy this year, that they might be more competitive than a lot of people expect. Yeah, I feel like this goes one of two ways, Buster. All the ifs hit, right? Duvall and Mondesi and Kike and Arroyo, everybody stays healthy. And then Paxton and Sale are good. Like, if, 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 if goes well, they could win 84 games and be frisky. But I also think the wheels could completely fall off and they win 68. 
Yeah, and I think it did, that's going to depend in part, uh, you know, A, on the injuries, because they do, you know, whether you have an older guy like a Justin Turner, an older guy like a Kenley Jansen, uh, you know, the players that we've talked about, you know, will, will those guys be able to stay on the field? And I just look at the lineup, and, and you compare it to a team like the Yankees with Judge and Stanton and, you know, Anthony Rizzo, or compare it to the Blue Jays, you know, who have, have had a lot of balance to their lineup, you know, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and then you have Bo Bichette. I just don't see the thunder in the Red Sox lineup. And, and it's, it's pretty hard, for, I think, uh, going to be very hard for the Red Sox to consistently contend in the American League East unless they find a way to hit more homers than we project. Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas show. He is every Thursday. And you know, I was talking with Tom Karen of Nesson about this yesterday, and I'm continuing to kind of wonder about it 24 hours later. Kike Hernandez is going to be in the infield for the Red Sox, right? He's going to be either their primary shortstop or their primary second baseman. But yeah, when he goes to the World Baseball Classic, he's going to be playing center field for Team Puerto Rico. How big a deal is it that a guy who you're counting on to kind of change positions for you again? is going to be playing center field for maybe three weeks to a month because Puerto Rico expects to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal because you're talking about a veteran guy who, you know, every day he's preparing at shortstop. Uh, he takes ground balls during the regular season at shortstop on a regular basis. He's played the position in the past. Uh, I know from my communication with Alex Cora, they actually feel like Kike is going to be a really good shortstop. Mm. In fact, you know, one of the in the upper half, upper echelon of shortstops, um, I don't know if I'm necessarily, you know, in agreement with that, but I also respect Alex's, uh, you know, his perspective. He has a lot more experience, a lot more knowledge than I do. Um, I think they feel pretty good about that. And with Kike, he's someone who uh, brings so much energy every day. I actually think with, in his case, I think it's pulling the reins on him a little bit in terms of his daily preparation. So I think he'll be fine in terms of that. It's a question of whether or not he can stay on the field. You know, the World Base, I did not know this until TC told us yesterday. All spring, managers are going to be prepping players at spring training to play under the new rules, right? Pitch clock, limited shifts, etc. But at the World Baseball Classic, they're playing with all the old rules. So you have all these top players that are going to go and not get experience playing the new way they're going to be playing in the season. Do you think that's a big deal? Uh, potentially for some players. Uh, you know, I, I do think that... Um, you know, for some guys, they could, they're going to adjust quickly. I do wonder about the pitchers, right? Yeah. Uh, who now have this dramatic change where they have to deliver the ball, uh, you know, within 15 seconds with no runners on base, 18 seconds with runners on base. I think that's going to be an adjustment for a lot of guys. I think, uh, you know, the rhythm of taking the signal from the catcher, uh, you know, through the, the electronic system that the catchers use now, uh, getting back on the rubber, you know, potentially looking at the runner at first base. I don't know exactly what the, the impact of all that's going to be, but I think it's going to be greater than what we expect. And I think uh, for pitchers who are not accustomed to dealing within that, that, that time frame, I think we are going to see some violations early in the year. Some pitchers get frustrated with the new rules. You know, it's interesting, too, after talking to TC, he said it's very clear that, the, as he called it, the Dodgers Mafia is kind of the leaders in the Red Sox clubhouse. Kike, Turner, and, uh, and Kenley Jansen. They would kind of be the leaders in that clubhouse. My question is, what obligation does Devers have to step up and be a leader? Because he's kind of backed off from that. He kind of seems like he just wants to play and be one of the guys. But 
as a long-term asset making the money that he is, doesn't he need to step up in some way leadership-wise and not defer to these other short-term options? I don't think so. Hmm. I think that his leadership is actually a lot like what I witnessed with Derek Jeter. You know, Derek Jeter went out and he played hard, and he was a really great player for a lot of years. He was not necessarily the guy who was going to, you know, call a team meeting or tip over the spread or get in people's faces. Cal Ripken was the same way. You know, Cal didn't uh, necessarily talk to players. You, you heard from Phillies people about Bryce Harper, you know, who was clearly a leader on that Phillies team last fall as they made it to the World Series. Bryce is not someone who goes nuts and is in people's faces or cajoling other players. Um, I, I think those guys lead through their, you know, their daily effort, their, uh, you know, their daily effectiveness, and, and other players follow. So I, I think the Red Sox are well aware of that too, and they paid him because he's a great hitter and he's a positive influence in the clubhouse. But he's not necessarily someone who's going to lead in in, in the old-fashioned way. Let me tap into your baseball history knowledge, and this certainly predates. Oh boy! Yeah. So Scott Rowland gets into the Hall of Fame this week, and that's and that's great. I'm not here to bag on his Hall of Fame candidacy, but I've seen some old-timey Red Sox people then make the case that Dwight Evans should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got more home runs career-wise than Rowland does, more Gold Gloves, more Silver Sluggers. He led the league in OPS twice. <laughs> does Dwight Evans have a case if Rowland gets in again? Dwight Evans predates all my baseball watching here so i'm just i'm throwing this out to you yeah 100 percent. he has a case the base the hall of fame voting is a complete mess uh there is no clear standard for who's a hall of famer and who's not you know there are current hall of famers who took steroids who took uh, amphetamines and yet you know barry bonds and roger clemens are out because they happen to be the two best of that group of guys and they got more scrutiny than the other players um, you know, in recent years, we've seen guys like Lee Smith and Harold Baines be put in by the special committees. And here's the thing. There's no distinction be- between being added by a veterans committee and being put in by the writers. Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer, just like Willie Mays is a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, they're not put in a separate room. They don't have some notation on their plaque. They're not, there's not an asterisk. And so every time that the, you know, the special committee adds a guy, as they did with Baines and as they did with Lee Smith, that adjusts the standards for Hall of Famers, and it really opens up a lot of questions about guys like Dwight Evans and Keith Hernandez. It, it, it's really become awful because I think that what you'd really want is there to be a clear standard for, okay, what is a Hall of Famer? Right now, I don't think anybody has any clue about what a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Fame career looks like. Buster only ESPN MLB insider Buster. Uh, let's see here. What are we? We're less than three weeks away from the start of spring training. Less than three weeks. I'm, it, you know, obviously, you know, you uh, working all year long as you do. I don't have to tell you this, but it feels like the off season just started. Like I feel like I was just watching Astros Phillies in the World Series. Uh, it, well, it's it's pretty funny. I, I actually I've enjoyed this off season because it's more typical of what we had you know, for years and years and years where most of the baseball business was done by January 1st. And yeah. you had some deals like uh, the Marlins, you know, trading for Luisa Rise last week. Uh, you had some deals in the month of January, but for the most part, the big names came off the board. That's not, not something we've seen the last five years. It actually has allowed, I think, managers, general managers, players to, uh, you know, emotionally, physically prepare 
uh, you know, for the start of spring training, and maybe with the WBC uh, being part of spring training this year, that's a really good thing. I think everyone will be ready to go, and they're going to need to be with all these rules changes. Real quick, I said last question. I have one more. So Red Sox winter weekend was last weekend, and John Henry showed up at that. He doesn't show up for the Devers presser, but he shows up at, at the Fan Fest, basically, and ends up getting booed. If you're not going to – I just don't get why he showed up. He hasn't been at anything in two years, but he comes to that? Uh, look, I, I think it's great when owners show up to anything. Uh, so if he shows up to one event or three, uh, you know, I'm not going to bag on him for that. What I was surprised was – I was really surprised by the reaction – that we saw with Heim Bloom, you know, to the booing, where he's trying to explain again the Mookie Betts uh, decision. Uh, you know, John Henry clearly put off by the question about whether or not you know the Red Sox are still important to his ownership group. Those are you know, th- those are reactions that you could have uh, forecast months out, given the frustration of Red Sox fans. And as I watched that reaction, it you know jumped back to what I used to hear from David Cohn in his counsel to teammates about how to handle criticism, how to handle questions about after a bad outing. He, he would tell them, look, just tell them you blew it and you aim to do better the next time. Uh, and I, I don't understand why they don't do that. I don't understand why someone doesn't just come out and say, you know what, you're right, we haven't made good decisions. The Mookie Betts thing in retrospect looks like a colossal mistake, and that's on us and we hope to do better. I think that's a lot better way to handle it than to be defensive and to be upset by either questions or, you know, fan reaction. Buster, much appreciated. Next week when we talk, one week closer to uh, spring training and we'll be in the month of February. So we'll talk soon. That sounds great. Thanks, Brady.